The peace of Christ be with you. Just had to check on a microphone issue. You might prefer not hearing my sermon, but I wanted to make sure that was on. As you gather into this place, as people are settling in around you, I invite you to just find yourself where you are. Take about three deep breaths. Give your heart a chance to open up and recognize the presence of the Spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. Our hope is in Christ, who comes into the world. Our hope is in Christ, who peace. We light the candle of hope for Christ, who leads us in sacred darkness.
may be seated. Welcome to Westminster. Welcome to worship. It is good to be with you today. If you're visiting with us for the first time, a special welcome to you. And if you're back with us, maybe after a long time, welcome back to you. I do invite you after worship. We have coffee and tea and some snacks set up out in our garden area. And I invite you out there um, for refreshment, but mostly for conversation, maybe finding someone you don't know and getting to know them just a little bit better. Also, during our offering time, I invite you sitting here in the center aisle to take that pew register and sign it, pass it down the aisle, pass it back, maybe greet someone by name who is sitting near you. Um, if you're new to our community and want to leave some contact information, that's a great way for us to be in touch with you during the week. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. God of hope, we turn to you when our hearts are breaking for what we have seen or done. When our hearts are aching for what is left undone or we cannot stop. And when our hearts are shaking out of fear or even anger, we turn to you because you know we can do something with our hearts. We can forgive. You can soothe, you can challenge, you can inspire, you can guide. We pray that we would be receptive to what you would do with our hearts and our collective heart. Come in Christ. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that in Christ we are loved unconditionally. We are forgiven unconditionally. So know that you are set free. You are made new. And be at peace. Amen. One of the ways we build up the community is to share what's going on in our lives. So if you have a joy or a concern to share with the group, just raise your hand and speak up when called upon. Yeah, please, Mary. An elderly relative of mine who lives in Vermont fell in an unheated bathroom. Mm. It was on the floor for 48 hours. Oh. Before someone found her. Her temperature was 87 oh. when she was taken to the hospital. Uh -huh. and she broke two bones. Please pray that she will. Uh -huh. Mary shares a concern for an elderly loved one who fell and, and was stuck on the ground in a very cold room for, for two days and praying for her recovery. Others, yeah, nice to see you. Lynn, it's nice to see you back. Lynn, Lynn was a seminarian uh, here, and her daughter, Araya, was in the youth program, and it's nice to see you back. And all kinds of exciting updates from Lynn, actually. I won't go through them all, but it's nice to see you three here. Others? Yeah. Susan. Very sweet. Susan's sharing some joys of family getting together, multiple generations, and being in an amusement park, and older kids looking after the little ones, and that just warms the heart. Others? Yeah, Rebecca. Hmm. 
Yeah, and thank you for offering him your couch. Uh, prayers for Rebecca's nephew, Wyatt, who finds himself without home and out without employment and, and staying with them. Yeah, Forrest. So uh, firefighting runs deep in Forrest family, and we've got a loved one uh, moving uh, north to join a new crew. We pray for a safe transition and a peaceful time. Michael. Michael gives thanks for uh, his youngest, Megan's wedding, which was two weeks ago. Congratulations. Yeah, Jim. Jim offers what I'm sure is a heartfelt prayer for many here. God does not play favorites in sports, but Jim does. And he's rooting for the 49ers, and I'll stay out of it. Having been raised a Cowboys fan. <laughs> yes, in the back, please. Wait. Oh, for your grandmother. What a sweet prayer. Thank you. On that note, why don't we pray? Oh, God, we give thanks for the many blessings of our lives, whether it's memories of a fond gathering around a table this past week or other occasions for celebration. We also are mindful that some tables are emptier than others and that heartache takes up residence. We pray that in coming together as this beloved community, we might embody the resurrected Christ in the world. We pray that you would join us together in that work, in that vocation that you would join our hearts and our minds. And so we join now our voices in offering the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
breaks with the tears of a mother. The baby's cry is the sound of love. Come down, come down, Emmanuel. Here is a song for a safari. Here is a sigh of the Prince of Peace. everyone. So good to see you. So today begins a, a season in the church called Advent. And basically what Advent is, it's, it's a time of preparing. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of getting ready for Christmas, for Jesus to be born. And we do a couple of special things in the church during Advent that I wanted to talk to you about because you're going to see them happening every single Sunday of Advent. So there's four Sundays in Advent, and you'll notice over here we have something that we don't usually have in the sanctuary. That's an Advent wreath with four candles around the outside and then one in the middle. So what we're going to do every Sunday is we're going to light one of those and each of the candles helps us to think about an aspect of Jesus and to help us prepare for Jesus' birth. So today we lit the candle of hope, and we think about how Jesus offers hope in our lives. And then next week, it's going to be the candle of peace, and then the next week is going to be the candle of joy, and then the final week is the candle of love. Those are the outside candles. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to light the Christ candle, which is that big white candle in the middle. So we think about how Jesus brings hope and peace and joy and love into our lives. And then also you're going to hear a word. You just heard us sing it. If you were paying attention to the song, we sang it several times. Emmanuel. That's a word we say kind of a lot during this season of Advent. Emmanuel. And what it means is God with us. 
right? Jesus was born as a little baby, God with us here on earth. So if you hear, oh, we're in the season of Advent, you can think, oh, wait, I know what that means. That means we're preparing, we're getting ready, we're waiting for Christmas, for Jesus to be born. If you hear that word, Emmanuel, you can be like, oh, yeah, I know what that means too. That means God with us. Jesus born as a baby to be with us. So pay attention at these next few Sundays and see if you hear those words. And you can be like, hey, wait, I know what they're talking about. It's all about getting ready for Jesus' birth at Christmas time. And now, as you go to Sunday school, you're going to hear even more about how we might be preparing for that special time. So we're going to head out to Sunday school and uh, join our teachers outside, all right? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the The first reading is from Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. The word that Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Israel and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war no more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, the 13th chapter, verses 11 to 14. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The armor of light. Put on, Lord Jesus Christ. Those words stung me when I sat down to write this sermon. As you know, I do a, sort of a round of preliminary planning well in advance. And so when I return to those notes to get ready for today, I saw the one line stick out to me, and it read this, holy blank, I'm writing this the morning after, May 25th, that awful shooting in Texas. It was the day after the Uvalde massacre. 19 fourth graders. My son is now a fourth grader. And I remember the day that I drove him to school that day, the moment he got out of the car, I started to cry, as did countless parents that day around the country. You know, if you go to his school, they've got um, this mirror reflective like tinting on the windows about nine feet and below. I think the kids think it's to keep the sun out. 
And then they do these drills where they learn to hide in, in safe places um, in case a deer comes onto campus. Because they know if they tell them the truth about those drills, it will traumatize them. And it will. And this week, in the last couple of weeks, we had Walmart. We had University of Virginia. Reminds me of Virginia Tech. Our own Jeff Schenkel was there in, in the area, I think even there at the time. I remember when Jeff, uh, Joe Chapman, our former seminary intern, was preaching, and he told stories about families trying to contact loved ones on that day, desperate to see if their student, their child, was safe, and uh, cell phone lights going off in the pockets of the bodies that were lined up. No one to answer them. The candle we lit a few moments ago is the candle of hope. The theme of the first Sunday in Advent. And it's okay to talk about some of the more difficult things in life on a day that's dedicated to hope because you have to be honest and give voice to the occasion, the occasions that give rise to the need for hope. Because what hope is, is taking the truth of our lived experiences in the world and meeting it with a better vision for how the world could be. If you're not honest about what calls for hope, what begs for it, then you're less likely to recognize it and to cling to it and to work for it with all that you've got. Hope. Meeting this world with a vision of another one. The text that you heard from Sharon earlier, you could actually put under the category of peace instead. That's the vision that's offered. Happens to be the theme next week. We return to these Advent texts year after year because they anchor us in who we are and who we've been and what we're waiting for. It's sort of like those familiar decorations that you put up in your home every year for Christmas. You pull out the family ornaments because it connects you to something deeper about your past. It conjures a feeling for you. It, it, just, it bridges the present to something greater. And that's why we return to those texts time and again. The problem is our culture turns this season, which they don't call Advent, they just call, I guess, the shopping season from... August to December. Costco had it up in August. <laughs> Culture makes this season about this bleary-eyed mad dash to catch sales and buy stuff and go to stuff and do stuff and just be exhausted and red-eyed. And then we can make New Year's resolutions about how we'll be better next year, which will be a whole other list of things we've got to do. Advent is instead a chance to take a breath, and get clear-eyed about what's going on around us and within us and to focus and be clear about what we're looking for and what we're waiting for so that we can recognize the lights that lead us to the manger, ultimately. The job of the prophet is to be clear-eyed. And so what Isaiah offers in that reading you heard moments ago is a clear-eyed vision of what Isaiah believes God dreams for the world. The language is poetic. People streaming to God's house on the highest of mountains where nations are held accountable for how they act toward one another. And we're told that they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Maybe the most beautiful line in all of Scripture. Now, if, you're, if you know your Bible, you might say, well, isn't there a passage where God says to do the opposite, turn your plowshares into swords? Well, if you think that's the case, you, rec you remember the passage right, but you've forgotten the context. It's in Joel. And in Joel, God is goading the people who shroud their weakness in bravado. 
and might and military power, and God is daring them to turn their tools of cultivation and agriculture into tools of weaponry. See how that goes for you. God is essentially saying, no, it's pretty clear that the kingdom, that the world that God envisions for God's people is a peaceable one. And that's the one we're to have our eyes on, to wait for and to work for. Recently, though, I've begun to wonder if work isn't quite the right word, even though I use it quite a lot. I started taking a, a course, an online class, actually led by my predecessor at my previous congregation. Her name is Patricia Pierce. It's a course on transformation. And the first module had a title that really stuck with me. It's very simple. It's simply this. Transformation is a natural process. Well, that's so obvious, but that's why it's profound. Her point is that transformation is happening all the time, but we treat it as if we have to conjure it out of nothing, and we have to work really hard to create it and to make it all happen, and it's all up to us, and if we just want it bad enough and work enough for it, it will happen. And she says, no, transformation wants to happen. It's happening all the time. Octavia Butler, in her dystopian novel, The Parable of the Sower, shares a refrain, refrain that sort of evolves over time, appropriately, but appears at least in one moment as this. Everything you touch, you change. Everything you change, changes you. The only timeless or permanent, what's the word she uses, the only lasting tr uh, truth is change. Change is God. Now, that's not what we're taught about God. We're often taught about God's impermanence. God is the same. God is unchanging. But no, change is God. Change is happening all the time. So Pierce's point is you don't have to conjure up change out of nothing. What you have to do is recognize as people of faith, we believe there's a, a force, an energy, a being, a spirit that's, that's working toward moving things in a certain direction or a set of directions that conjure a greater wholeness and well-being for all. And we have to recognize that and join in with it. That's a very different orientation. To me, it's a relief, frankly, from thinking you have to make it all up. No, the reality is learning to recognize it and just work with it. Just help channel it in a positive direction. Help build the banks where they need to bank so, so the flow can go where it needs to go. It's a liberating way of looking at things, a more communal way, too, and I'll get to that in a moment. That kind of shift in thinking can change everything. I remember when we were having repeated trouble with flooding in our house. Every time we got a big rain, our house would flood. And so you couldn't sleep at night because you were imagining what was happening. And it was terribly stressful. And somebody in the congregation said to me, God bless them, they said, you know, you don't have to keep the water out. You just have to help the water go where it wants to go. It was very Zen. It was very Marin church, right? <laughs> but... But it was actually a beautiful reframing. You don't have to try to uh, stand against the forces of nature and seal everything and plug every hole and keep it out. You actually have to help it go where it wants to go. The water does not want to go in your basement. I don't want to go in my basement. It wants to find a stream or a field to water. You're just there to help it. That's a lot easier of an orientation than you have to Keep it all out. It wants to happen. Transformation in your life wants to happen. We believe, we're daring or foolish enough to believe, it wants to happen in the world. And we just have to join with that spirit, which is the other reason to get very clear about what we're looking for. Back to the effort and the individuality and the thinking we have to do it all ourselves. Pierce says, we have to get out of the frame of mind of making everything this heroic, egoic effort, which is all about the self, and I'll do it, and I'll be a hero. Because the ego is always about separation. Our distinctions from one another. 
It pits us against one another. This group is over and against that group, and my well-being is my well-being, and that's what I'm committed to. But it's all illusion. Separation is fundamentally illusion that the ego loves to play into. Rather, we're called to see our connection, our oneness, our kinship. That's what we're being invited into, and that's the shift that someone like Isaiah makes when he talks about people beating their swords into plowshares rather than weapons of separation and domination. In the last two weeks, human population on this planet reached 8 billion. That kind of shift is what it will take for us to thrive as a species. I read recently somebody playing with the Fermi paradox. We should talk about the Fermi paradox sometime. It's basically an attempt to wrestle with the question of if the universe is so old and so vast, how come we haven't been contacted by other intelligent beings? I know I make a presumption when I say other intelligent beings. <laughs> and this person who was wrestling with it essentially said, because any civilization that could evolve enough to have the technology to come reach us by definition self destructs before it does. And if we want to avoid that fate, too, we have to make that shift in orientation to move that kinship model that displaces the ego as the center of all things. Builds towards that vision that Isaiah depicts so beautifully. It's funny, then, perhaps, then, that Paul chooses the metaphor of putting on armor the armor of light. Well, light doesn't make very good armor. And perhaps that's precisely Paul's point. Paul wants us to shift the way we think about what makes us safe. Paul wants us, perhaps, to get out of the arms race altogether. Because that way of keeping you safe won't actually keep you safe because if you're the only one who's safe and the other isn't safe, we're actually not safe because we're actually not separate. Redo your thinking altogether is what Paul is saying. Put on the armor of light rather than the arm, armor of darkness. And I recognize the problematic nature of the light-dark metaphors in light of our current climate, but think of it as things that are of God and that which is not of God that are above board and things that are hidden and kept in the private places to do harmful things. Paul contrasts that which is of God, that the ways of the light and connection and oneness, with these other ways. And it's in that laundry list of things that we like to just file away because we don't like it when the church wags its finger at us and tells us not to have sex and not to drink and all the other bad things we're not supposed to do, right? And you heard the list for yourself. Drunkenness and debauchery, licentiousness, which is just fun to say, even if you don't want to do it. <laughs> Jealousy, quarreling. But if you get over the sense of being wagged at by a finger, recognize what's embedded in that list. These are all behaviors that break down communities. They lead to exploitation or hurtful behavior or separation, division, injustice, taking advantage of others. And Paul is saying, those things are not of God. Those are not of the light. Those actually are things of the ego because, again, they work towards separation. I was away last week, but the week prior, everybody who came into my office for the whole week, during our discussion, we ended up at one point addressing one thing. It happened every time. And it was the incident with the youth in Mill Valley that many of you know about, right? A bunch of teenagers, I'm not about to bash teenagers if you're a teenager here. Uh, we're drinking, obviously underage, and a crowd gathered and grew and grew and grew. And the police uh, were alerted and came through to break it up and showing what seems to me an extraordinary amount of restraint, and, uh, in fact, just put on their lights and drove through the CVS parking lot where it's happening. In my day and age, that would have been enough. I mean, there were, I mean not that I would have been at such a party. Uh, <laughs> 
only because I wasn't invited. But, <laughs> but not only did it seem not to disperse the crowd, it seemed to, to ignite the crowd. And uh, at least according to some accounts, there were some teenagers who not only didn't leave, but they jumped on top of the police car and started jumping on it while there was a police officer in it. Okay. Now, I'm not here to, to pile on young people, right? <laughs> we spare no expense for sermon illustrations here. But I don't know the full circumstances of the event, and uh, piling on them doesn't do much good. I'm actually interested in a more interesting question, which is what's going on there in the mind of somebody, albeit altered by substances, when you're standing on top of a police car, not in some even protest for some social issue, but just because you're partying, jumping up and down, somewhere embedded in that psyche is the, is the reassurance that you will be protected from the consequences of this. And I'm interested in that. It's the wrong kind of armor. And it is privilege. Because not every kid would be protected. And the question is, are we really protecting anyone by doing that? It's the wrong kind of armor. Paul is calling us to the armor of light that reveals and asks the question of what's going on here. And another question that raises for me is, do we do a good job of, of making this a safe community where things can come to light, where real things to, can come to light? And I would hazard a guess the answer to that is no. Because there's so much at stake in a community like this where appearances matter and the resources are so high and reputations matter so much that there's a lot invested in keeping certain things covered up. I don't mean, I don't mean conspiracy talk. I'm not going to get into that. But just in not re revealing certain circumstances and behaviors and ways of being that may be hurting folks and some folks more than others. And what would it look like to foster a society or a community in which we could shine a healing light on things so that we could learn what's really going on, address what needs to be addressed, not in a punitive way, but in a restorative way, in a reconciling way, in a healing way, to build a, that peaceful community that we believe, through the grace of God, is trying to be born in our midst. We should want to see what's going on. We should want that. And we should be worried when we lose our seers. This Saturday at 2 o'clock, we'll have a memorial service for Ralph Cole. I know who Ralph Cole is. He's our last surviving World War II veteran. And one of the last ones in the world, frankly. Among other things, Colonel Cole, which I would only dare call him, liberated the first concentration camp. He was in Patton's army. And when George Patton got to the scene of the concentration camp, he was so shaken, Patton was so shaken, he had to go behind a building and get sick. And foolishly, I once asked Colonel Cole, what condition were their survivors in? And he just looked at me and said, survivors? Think of what he saw. I worry about when we lose people who've seen things. Because our job is to see things, not to hide our eyes, so that we can learn from them and resist forces that lead us to them again. In a moment where people are conjuring stuff, speaking of conspiracies to pit communities against each other, Jewish people against African Americans, whites against, I mean, it just goes on and on, right? We've got to see what's happening. So we can live into the vision that God has for us rather than the ego vision that pits us against one another. Our hope is in the light. I don't want our children cowering in the shadows at school. I want them studying out in the open. Studying all of it, including maybe especially the ugly parts. Not out of self-loathing, not out of blame, so that we can grow in wisdom 
and truth and build a world that more envisions what God dreams for us. Our hope is in the light. And our light is hope. It's not fear. We don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore. For in Christ, as Paul says, the night is far gone. Those ways of being are far gone, and the day is near. So come, says Paul. In Christ, let us walk in the light. Amen. Our hope is that you will sing along with us on the chorus of this song. The words are printed in your bulletin. And so what we'll do is I'll sing it through one time so you can hear how it goes. And then we'll sing it together. And then after each verse, we'll return to the chorus and sing it together. Before us. 
Amen. You may be seated. I want to highlight just a few things for you. First, be sure to check out the announcements in your bulletin, and then a few that are not in your bulletin. Well, diaper duty is in your bulletin here under ongoing events, but in addition to bringing diapers and bags of lunch on Tuesdays, uh, we always do a special push on the first Sunday of the month uh, to bring diapers which are then donated up at the Canal Alliance. And uh, this being the Advent season, if you're looking for a special way to support someone during the holiday season, I do invite you to bring diapers next Sunday or really anytime. You can drop them in the bin that's in the narthex. Uh, the Christmas Fair was the past two weeks. Lots of nonprofit organizations being supported during the Alternative Christmas Fair. If you missed that, if you didn't have a chance to attend, uh, we do have sort of Christmas Fair order forms out in the narthex. You can see all the organizations that were represented, um, all the different items you might uh, support those organizations with. So if you want, you can grab a sheet, you can fill it out, and return it to the church office uh, with a check. Um, still, uh, still a way for you to participate in the Alternative Christmas Fair if you weren't able to before. Uh, this is the season of Advent. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook, you will note that our first Advent devotion was posted today. It's also up on our website. And Rob and I, throughout the Advent season, um, are using the Advent Word devotion. It's a word a day, and he and I are um, providing a small reflection on each word. So take a look at the website, uh, take a look at our Facebook page, and hopefully that's a way for you to, to enter into the Advent season. And, what? Oh, yeah, also the podcast. I forgot. If you want to listen to our voices, uh, the Daily Dose podcast, which you can find on all of your podcast platforms, you can listen to the Advent devotion. Um, and then, of course, the quiet Advent that is starting this Saturday, the children's three-in-one that's Sunday, lots of Advent events, so take a look here. And then the last thing is, uh, Westminster is the chartering organization for the Tiburon Boy Scout troop. That's a relationship we've had with them for about a year. Um, and their biggest fundraiser of the year is selling uh, Christmas wreaths and greenery. Um, so our session decided that a, a good way to support them would be to um, have them sell those wreaths here. So they're set up outside. Please note, this is not a hard sale, OK? Um, don't feel like you have to buy a wreath, not at all. This is simply an option. If you're looking for a Christmas wreath, they are there. And I'm um, happy to sell one to you. but. Please don't feel forced or influenced in any way, uh, but they are there, our, our Boy Scout troop outside. Um, and with that, I invite you, either standing or sitting, to join together in our closing hymn, number 103. <laughs> 
Blessings to you as you begin this Advent journey. And as you go from here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.